Now, we have been talking about the eight steps from death to life. And I was talking to somebody in this church that's not here tonight, by the way. But maybe they're watching online or maybe not. Um, just yesterday over the phone about one particular part of this lesson that's coming up. And it relates. Um, the old uh, version of the eight steps from death to life, I've listened to. And the most recent version, um, I also have. And it's got 37 audio sessions to it. And I've listened to those as well. And in this newest version, Brother Readout added something to this newest version that I have been listening to over and over again. It's coming up. It's going to be coming up in several months. But I'm just going to give you a, just a little bit of a taste of it right now. It's called Crisis Points. Crisis Points. So I was talking to somebody about that yesterday, somebody who's in our church, about crisis points. And in every step of our salvation, there is a crisis point. Just about in every step. And some of them, there are multiple crisis points. You know, and <coughs> man, when I first uh, started going to ALI, um, it was maybe after my second year, or I can't remember if it was after the which year it was. I came home and I decided that every day I was going to read five pages from the Foundations of Life series and go through two audio podcasts. Well, to go through two audio podcasts, that's about three hours. And to listen and to read the five pages. So you're not, I'm talking anywhere from three to five hours a day. And so I would try to type it. I would try to write it out. And that first year, I came to the realization that I needed to seek the Lord every day. And this is how I did it. I said, Lord, would you help me to see more of you? Would you help me to know you better as you've revealed yourself in your word? And with that, would you help me to expand my ability to know you more? Because there may be some things about the Lord Jesus Christ that I could not receive at this point. Just like in John chapter 6, right? When many of the disciples of Jesus Christ walked away that day because they heard the hard saying. And is there a hard saying that I could not receive right now? Is there something that is in God's word that would be maybe the thing that would turn you away from the Lord. And many of them, they say, what, to eat his flesh and drink his blood? You know, that's a hard saying. And many of them walked away, John chapter 6. And so Jesus asked the question to the 12, will you also go away? And what did Peter say? To whom shall we go? You've got the words of life. Yes, it's a hard saying. So I prayed the prayer, God, maybe there's a hard saying Maybe there's something that you might tell me that would be very difficult. But would you, would you help me to expand my ability to be able to receive 
Does that make sense? So crisis points come. And as the Lord reveals himself to you, it leaves you in a position where you have to make a decision. And I experienced a lot of those that year. As I prayed, as the Lord revealed something about his character and who he was, and then I saw things in me, it, it was tough. And so when I got to ALI, Brother Readout picked me up from the airport, and he said, how was your year this year? I said, this was a tough year. He said, did you, did you read the lesson four, which is forgiveness, which is a very difficult lesson, which my sister is telling me that I haven't taught in a long time, and I need to teach it. Because, you know, many people don't understand what true forgiveness really is and the alternatives to forgiveness, all six of them. And sometimes we practice one of the alternatives and we call it forgiveness. And so I said, no, Brother Readout, it wasn't lesson four. It was actually lesson one. He said, well, that is the first crisis point. And that kind of stuck with me. So I've been going through m multiple, multiple times. I don't know how many times I've been over the past several months, just, just going through the podcast on crisis points and how each one of these deals, and you're not going to be able to get to the next one until you get through this one. There is a crisis point. I guarantee you there's going to be a crisis point, and you, you're not going to be able to get to the second crisis point before until you get through that first one. And if you decide to stop and hang it up and go away, then guess what? You're done with the crisis points. And so tonight we're talking about umbrellas. What are umbrellas? I wanted to have an umbrella tonight. One time when I taught this lesson, do you guys remember, anyone remember, I had five umbrellas. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the five umbrellas. Let's look at Joel chapter 2. Let's look at Joel chapter 2. Let's start around verse 28-ish. Let's see if that's about the right spot. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It's upon all flesh. There is no prejudice here. There's no bias here. God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Look at the next verse. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So God is pouring out his spirit continuously. And if you have not received his spirit, if it's raining outside, how will you stay dry? What's that? What was that? You said something. With an umbrella. So we're going to talk about what the hindering umbrellas are that would hinder you from receiving his spirit that he is freely pouring out upon all flesh without prejudice, without bias. So why did Peter make such a bold statement of certainty that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. How could he say, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? How could he say it? Anyone know? So, yeah, that's part of it. Absolutely. But he also recognized that they had put down some of those umbrellas, some of those hindering umbrellas. And when you have the hindering umbrellas set aside, then you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had gotten to the step where Peter could say, yes, you, you shall receive it. You're not holding anything up. To, you're you're going to get wet without the umbrella. And they had manifested some things that let Peter know that they were going to receive it. Now, not everybody receives the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? But if you're in the rain and you've put down the umbrellas, you're going to get wet. He did not promise that all flesh would receive it, but he said he was going to be pouring out upon all flesh. And we know not everyone receives the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's why Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive you the Holy Ghost. He's pouring out his spirit. The next part is we have to receive it, right? It is possible to stand in the rain and not get wet. We have those hindering umbrellas and they can keep us from receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But they do not keep God from pouring it out. We might have our hindering umbrella that prevents us from receiving what he is pouring out freely. So even people who own shelters and umbrellas can still get wet in the rain. All they have to do is get out in the rain without using those things as protection. It is not the existence of the umbrella, but rather the use of the umbrella that is the hindering factor. So here's a couple points. Number one, God has promised to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, whether there are umbrellas or not. He's promised to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, whether there is umbrellas or not. And umbrellas do not hinder the outpouring of God's spirit, but they may hinder people from receiving his spirit. God's pouring it out. I haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost. God, it's your fault. Somebody called me and they said, I have tried, I have tried. No one here in our church. They said, I have tried and God just must not like me. I can't receive the Holy Ghost. I said, well, there are five hindering umbrellas. God's pouring it out. Why aren't you receiving it? What is the hindrance? So umbrellas hinder only when they are used for that purpose. And here are the five umbrellas. Number one, we're going to talk about the first one. It's idolatry. The very first umbrella is idolatry. Idolatry is still the greatest and most predominant sin. Idolatry is ascribing rights and privileges of God to someone or something that God has not revealed himself to be. People saying, hey, this God that we serve, this triune God, that's not who God ever defined himself to be. 
There is no place in Scripture where God defined Himself to be a triune God. And so idolatry is ascribing something to God that He has not defined Himself to be, right? False concepts of the person, the identity, and the plan of God, they abound in the minds of men. So knowing the truth can free you from believing a lie. You can never know a lie, but you can believe a lie. You can know the truth. You could even believe the truth, right? But um, knowing the truth is the thing that can free you from believing that lie. Knowing assuredly, right? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that Jesus Christ is both the Almighty God, both Lord and Messiah, removes the hindering umbrella of idolatry. And that's what Peter preached in verse 36. He preached to remove that very first hindering umbrella. If they could get this idea, if they could get the understanding of who Jesus Christ really is, and they got it, they responded. We see in verse 37. So that's the very first hindering umbrella's idolatry. The second one is pride. Now, pride doesn't often allow you to acknowledge your need to cooperate with God. But you do have a need to cooperate with God. Pride derives its strength from idolatry because it is attributing the prerogatives or the rights and privileges of God to yourself. So this is what was the original sin of Lucifer. It was the downfall of Adam and the deceit that Satan used to beguile Eve, right? He used pride. God's withheld from you some things, right? You know, if you eat of this tree, right, you'll know some things. You'll be like God, right? So he used pride to, to uh, kind of get to Eve, to beguile her to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when the revelation of the oneness of God in Jesus Christ is obtained through the ministry of God's word, pride loses its grip on the hearts of men. Pride. The scripture defines the effects of the illumination of truth about God um, in it many places. We have a lot of scriptures. We've talked about them before. Book of Job. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many places. It is difficult to maintain pride when you stand in the light of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to start thinking you're really great after you've seen God. Right? Oh, it's all, it's all about me. I'm really a great person. I'm thinking they really need to see Jesus Christ. Right? It's really not about me. Right, Brother Alex? He's like that little Asian boy and he got that trophy and he said, he didn't say nothing. They handed that trophy, everyone's clapping. He was like, and it was just the cutest thing. And I was just like, man, that's right. Because it's not about me. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see him, I, I, I don't know if anyone else has seen this. If you've ever seen any clips, I've seen this maybe on YouTube or a clip on Facebook. I, I don't know. It's been a while. But they were interviewing different athletes and all these different athletes that gave glory to God. And 
in this one particular case, the the person who was doing the interview was trying to, okay, n- enough about God, but, I mean, you had to do the work too. <laughs> and so I thought about that. I thought about the accomplishments that I've accomplished. I would not have been able to do it without God. It was the Lord who gave me the strength. It was the Lord who gave me the ability. It, it was the Lord who gave me the stick to It was the Lord who, um, y- you know, there's times you want to give up when it's not easy, when it's hard, and you just know that we got to stick to this thing, and it's, it's the principles from God's Word that... So really, I do have to give credit to God. I have to give credit to His Word for the accomplishments that I have accomplished because He's given me all the talents, all the abilities. Amen. I do give glory to God. And so, um, recognizing the truth about yourself removes the hindering umbrella of pride. Recognizing that I'm just human. And here's something, I'm just going to share with you something really personal. Um, over the years, you, I've heard of preachers that have fallen into sin. And um, the first thing I do is I repent. That's what I do. Because I... Um, feel like I am capable of any sin. That's what I do. And then uh, the second thing I do is pray for that individual and pray for that family. And I don't go around gossiping and spreading news unless it, I mean, of course, if I, if I have to share something that might affect this assembly or people here, then I might have to do that. Uh, there's times you, you might have to share some things, but I don't do it. And um, I don't pl- take pleasure in that. It's something that uh, makes me realize, you know what? I'm human, and I am capable. I was arguing with my older sister one time, and she says, well, no one's perfect. We all got flaws. And I go, yeah, I believe that. Can you tell me one of yours? And she goes, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, she goes, tell me one of yours. I go, I know what my flaws are. I can start telling them to you. And so I told her a few, and I go, now tell me yours. You know, some people say, well, no one's perfect, but then they really don't act like they believe that they they have any flaws. I'm just teasing with you, Lori. Just don't take it personal. Just messing with her. Um, so recognizing the truth about yourself. Removes that hindering umbrella of pride. And then there's ignorance. What is ignorance? Have you noticed that these are all the opposites of the steps? The first one is revelation. Opposite is idolatry. The, fr- the second step is recognition. Opposite is pride. The third one is ignorant. Oppo- it's the opposite of knowledge. Ignorant is just a lack of knowledge. Most people who come to sudden destruction are destroyed by a danger they don't even know is present. Many problems go unsolved because people do not know that there is a solution to the problem. Have you ever seen that? People that walk around, they have problems, and and you know that there's a solution. We do have the answer, and Jesus is the answer for the world today. Ignorance has three principal manifestations. I'm going to tell you what they are. Number one, 
not knowing that there is a problem. You might have a problem and don't even know there is a problem. Have you ever been, that's ignorance. Have you ever experienced that? Not knowing there was a problem? Anybody? How about the second one? Not knowing there is a solution to a known problem. How about that one? What is it? What am I missing? What am I ignorant about right now? <laughs> I know, I keep hearing the thud too. Not knowing uh, that there is a problem and neglecting to seek the solution. That is the third issue. So, ignorance, it has those issues. Ignorance can be a hindering umbrella, but responding properly to revelation and recognition removes the hindering umbrella of ignorance. Responding properly to God's revelation of who He is. Some people, you show them what the Scripture says about Jesus Christ, and they're not interested. I have done this for years since I was a teenager. People said things about God, and I said, Wait, where does it say that in the Scripture? People have ideas about God that are just not in the Scripture. And so um, I want to know. I don't know if anyone else wants to know, but responding properly to the revelation. And then what's the fourth umbrella? It's selfishness. And there, this is the opposite of repentance, Right? Because as you're selfish, you don't recognize that you do have to change. If you're selfish, you don't realize, you know what? It's not an about face. I, I can continue to live the way I'm living. I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't need to change. There's nothing the matter with me. If there's any problem, there's something the matter with you, right? So selfishness, it's, it's the opposite of repentance. And so there is no room for selfishness in God's kingdom. But there were many selfish people in the crowds which pursued Jesus Christ. You know why? They were looking for that free meal ticket because he broke the bread and the fish. And, and you know, as long as there was miracles, as long as there was handouts, as long as there was blessings, a lot of selfish people that come into God, they live for God. And I've heard guys at work say, man, I've got to go to church and find me a woman. They asked me where I met my wife. And yeah, there's no good ones out there. I go, where you been looking? <laughs> and so they found out that I found my wife going to church, going to singles conference. I met her in Visalia at singles conference. And I, maybe I should start going to church. That's how I'll find a good woman. I go, yeah, there's some good women there, but that's not the right reason to go to church. So anyways, selfishness, right? You cannot make him to be your king without first vacating the throne yourself. Selfishness can be a hindering umbrella, but repentance removes the hindering umbrella of selfishness. And here's the fifth one. The fifth umbrella is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. There is... No greater obstacle between men and the gifts of God than unforgiveness. 
It does not hinder God from giving his gifts, but it does keep men from receiving them. Unforgiveness. But he has provided a means whereby we can remove that obstacle through water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It's the same root word as remission and forgiveness come from the same root word. One's a verb, one's a noun. And when did God forgive you for your sins? Already. It's, he's already forgiven you. But it doesn't mean that you have remission of sins because that takes place through baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, Peter's message identified Jesus Christ as both Lord and Christ, which allowed the hearers to put away the umbrella, umbrellas of idolatry and pride. When they asked for instructions, they put away the umbrella of ignorance. Men and brethren, what shall we do? The moment they asked for instructions, they were putting away that umbrella of ignorance. What should we do? Peter's answer told them that putting away the umbrellas of selfishness, repentance, and umbrellas of unforgiveness would remove the last hindrances which could keep them from receiving the gift that God had promised that was to be poured out upon all flesh. And that's how he could say, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've got rid of all five of these hindering umbrellas, you're going to receive it because you're standing out there in the rain because God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. He's still, it's being poured out right now upon all flesh. Anybody could receive it anywhere. They just put the, anytime they can just put those umbrellas down. And those are the five umbrellas. That brings us to the birth threshold, the birth threshold. And verse 40 of Acts chapter 2 says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, um, the Jews and devout men had gathered at Jerusalem. And uh, they were faced with the most important decision they would ever have to make. It was not a simple matter of adopting a new philosophy or aligning with a new sect. The demand was for nothing less than a new birth. You must be born again. There's no other decision. There's no other way. You've got to be born again. And they were faced with it. And forsaking of all the f familiar comfort that went before, what was certain was that they were being challenged to adopt the very Lord and Christ who had been rejected and crucified by the masters of their established religion, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews of their day. And with many other words we read in verse 40, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation? So Peter's ministry changed from the declaration of the truth 
He was telling everybody about who Jesus was. He was declaring the truth, and he changed into testimony and exhortation, telling them what they must do. Now we've told you who Jesus is. Now I'm telling you what you've got to do. You've got to know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. So his method changed from proclamation to affirmation to entreaty. His purpose changed from education to verification and motivation. So he offered his personal testimony to validate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His words forced them to discover that they were part of a generation which was perverse and doomed to destruction. And he called and beseeched them to come and stand with him on the side of the risen Savior. So, this part's pretty interesting, right? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So, the word of the Lord accomplished its purpose, didn't it? It is a two-edged sword. We've talked about this in the will of God, lesson, lesson number three, which we haven't gone through in many years. But it is a two-edged sword, one with the edge of blessing, the other of cursing. They all received his word, but only some of them gladly received his word. Right? So this is saying, then they that gladly received his word. So the only proof of sincerity is what you do with the truth when you hear it. What will you do with the truth when you hear it? Those who accepted the truth obeyed it. Those who gladly received it, they obeyed it. Um, and there's a lot of people who do, will do whatever it takes to avoid the truth. And it says, the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen to this. This is an important point. It is obvious that these 3,000 souls were not part of the church until after they believed and were baptized. That's obvious. They were separate and apart until they were added to the people of God. The same day they were added. Devout Jews out of every nation under heaven probably read the scriptures, probably were very religious, but they weren't added to the church until this time. Um, and they did not add themselves, but after they obeyed, they were added by God's grace. They were not saved by the works, but neither were they saved without the works. It is also interesting that the scripture records that the souls were added, not just bodies, right? It says 3,000 souls. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say just bodies because there's a lot of bodies in churches today that have not been added to the church. But really what the church is, you can look at a, a, a thousand church congregate, but not everyone who's there is part of the church. This is talking about 3,000 souls. There may have been people who said, no, yeah, I'm part of this church now. I really believe this. But 3,000 souls were added. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. 
and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. The very next two words says, praising God. So salvation is not the experience of a moment. Receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is not the end of the experience. So a lot of people, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who believe, you know what, I've repented. I just went down to kneel and I said, sorry for my sins. That's not the definition of repentance. That's in the repentance lesson number four. That's a very convicting lesson as well. It's more than that. And it's not just being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's more than that. It's for the remission of sins. It includes the principle of forgiveness. And if you harbor unforgiveness, you have not applied the principle of baptism, and that does you no good, zero good. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's more than speaking in other tongues. There's a principle of lordship that has to be applied, and without, without that principle applied, it does you no good. There's people anywhere, they put down the umbrellas, they're going to receive the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. There's more to it than that, right? And so um, it's not the end of the experience because once you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's just the beginning of your new birth. Now you're starting. Now you've got to the birth, the new birth threshold. That's not the end of the experience. That's the beginning, right? It's the first six steps they're the beginning. They're just the beginning of the new life into which you were risen to walk. And there is a walk that you must walk. There is a race that you must run. There is a life that you must live. The kingdom is not contained within the limits of your own life and interests. It is a body with a diversity of parts which exist, work together, and accomplish the purpose of God. So the kingdom into which you were born is not uh, paralyzed with anarchy, but it is well ordered by the government of Emmanuel, God with us. So you must grow in your proper place and fulfill your proper ministry. You must grow and you must fulfill your proper ministry and you are supposed to work ministry. This is only possible as you submit to proper fellowship and to proper doctrine. That's teaching one with another in verse 42. So we have to be determined. We've got to continue. It's this progressive continuation, progressive determination. The course must not be changed by opposition, but it's not going to be able to be maintained without your dedication. So they continued specifically in something, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and there is somebody who has been appointed and anointed by jesus christ to establish the doctrine to establish the teaching by which all christians are to live the original apostles were chosen by jesus christ to teach everybody else the apostolic doctrine the apostles taught other men that were raised up by God 
to be the servant leaders of the church. They, in turn, were to teach others who would continue the traditions commanded by God, as we see in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. So the Lord's house does have rules. And one of those rules is don't join another house. So they not only continued in the doctrine, but in the fellowship as well. Now listen, this is a very important point. And I have debated with people of other denominations about this over the years who believe and teach a doctrine that is not apostolic at all. Their doctrine has evolved into a completely different doctrine. And I told, I argued with one lady, and she said, oh, that's not for us today. I said, which Bible do you read? How did you come up with your doctrines, the teachings of your church? And they, there's churches, most church, many churches that are not apostolic believe that the apostles were, you know, they were smart and intelligent for their time, but it's evolved. Christianity has evolved into what it is today and we've learned more, and so we have different doctrines and different teachings. And the Catholic Church says we, are in, we have the, apost- the vicar of Christ. We have the apostolic authority, so we're apostolic, even though they teach nothing similar to what the apostles, who were given the authority and the anointing. So the apostles' doctrine does not change with the times. Important point. And their fellowship is more than an occasional association. It is a communion and community of family members. It is the joining together of people who call upon the same family name, Jesus Christ, whose life is in the same cleansing blood, who share their same father, mother, whose allegiance is to the same king, nation, ensign, who together look for a city whose builder and maker is God. I want to be part of a city that God is the builder and maker of it whose life is a ministry of priesthood to God and his people. So they continued the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers. And um, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So the fear of the Lord is the natural result of proper doctrine and fellowship. It motivates purification of the daily life. And all that believe were together. So it doesn't mean that they were all in the same place. They, it means they were united as one family. Had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men to, as every man had need. This is not communism. Everybody said, and then we'll just divide it evenly, right? So this is not communism, not Marxism, not Leninism, not Stalinism, not Maoism or any other form of communism. They did not all share equally in abundance, but none went without the necessities. Neither were any forced to sell or give. That's what communism does. They were not forced to sell or to give. All their goods remained in their own power, but they did demonstrate their love one to another. And they, most likely referring to the apostles, um, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and praise God. They would have had to separate to differing houses to break bread from house to house. But while this they refers specifically to the apostles, it should be understood that when the ministry is in harmony, it is likely the congregation will be also. 
they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They did not need to return to Galilee. They were able to continue daily with one accord because they were not involved in building their own kingdoms. Breaking bread from house to house, this is not referring to the Lord's Supper, but it's referring to eating meals together. So the apostles were fed by the hospitality of the believers in Jerusalem. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. The apostles were joyful, thankful for their sustenance. They had gladness and so committed to their purpose that they, they, they did not make a big issue out of it. So that's the singleness of heart. Praising God. To praise God is to acknowledge and thank Him for His wonderful works. And that brings us to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Others will learn from your life of praise. Others will learn from that. A life of praise is pleasant to the people around you. As you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, and deal properly with those who are without, you will become an instrument of the work of God in your society. And having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily. We read in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So if he's not the one that's building it, your labor will be useless. And the church was doing what it should, if it is, because um, he added to the church daily. His working was continuous. And that's what I want to happen here. I want us to be doing what the Lord would have us to do. Teach what the Lord would have us to teach. And the message we have is him. That's our message. And he will add to the church such as should be saved. It doesn't mean those who ought to be saved, but those who were being saved. That's what it means. So God is at work through the daily life of the people in his church. And your living a Christian life affects the people around you. The more you associate with Jesus Christ, the greater will be your evangelistic effect on those you encounter in your daily life. And as he reproduces himself in you, you also will be able to reproduce his character in others. The Lord will then complete the process by adding unto the church those who are being saved. And I think that's a good place for us to stop. Amen. I know I went fast. We started out talking about the hindering umbrellas. We started out talking about that. We talked about God's pouring out his spirit. And there are people that I've talked to said, I can't receive the Holy Spirit. I just can't do it. But they have some hindering umbrella that that's up. And so many times I'll start working my way through those hindering umbrellas. Say, what do you believe about the Lord? Who is God? And, and then I'll work to that next one. And I'll just work my way through. It could be one of these things that you're holding up. Now you've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. Just like Jesus said, you must receive it. You must put yourself in a position. You've put down all the umbrellas. You just receive it. Because he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Amen. So, praise the Lord. Seven point. What's the date today? The 28th. Amen.
All right, I think I'm going to have Brother Sharon pray in closing today. Amen. You guys are dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you guys for being here. Praise the Lord. It's encouraging when you guys are here.